How many of you are excited about God's Word? Okay. I've been doing a series called It's a Heart Thing to Forgive for Real is my title today. But I want to start with kind of a precursor, just because I know this is one of those ones you got to kind of warm up into, because every week I've been kind of kind of increasing the heat on the pot, sort of like the frog in the water type thing, you know. And so I understand that these can be highly difficult topics to talk about. So let's go with a couple flat-out, honest, baseline truths. Let's assume 100% of us in this room have an unresolved issue in our heart somewhere. Can we do that? Come on. Let's raise a hand and say yes, because it's the truth. If the Holy Spirit was to peel back the onion, we know that he'd find it, right? So I'm saying that so that you're not sitting there going, oh, pastor's preaching at me. He's talking just to me. Why is he doing that? That's a tactic the devil uses. Because even myself, as I was going through this message, I thought, man, you're going to have to... Are you talking about you? I have unresolved issues here too. I mean, this is life. And where you have people, you're going to have conflict. Everyone say conflict. People don't always play nice in the sandbox. They just don't. I mean, you can show two people the same color and they'll say it's not the same color. It's just the way it is. I know a guy that in his church, they decided to take a vote on what color to paint a wall. Oh my goodness. That will never happen as long as I'm here. You will show up and it will just be painted. If you don't like it, I'm sorry and get over it. In five years, it'll be another color anyway. So it's the way it is. Because you can't make everyone happy. How many of you know even in your own house you can't make everyone happy? How many moms in the room, you've made dinner and you had at least, you know, you spent hours, you thought it was going to be the perfect. Moms always want the perfect meal, right? They always want to have the perfect family dinner. And they get to the table and they got everything set beautiful. They slaved over it and they get there and at least one kid goes, oh, I ain't going to eat that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mom wants to reach over the table and go, Poof. in some cases she might. Or dad might. I mean, if dad's smart, there's probably a very big foot that kicked them under the table. I mean, you know, not saying I've ever done that. Sorry. Did have one of our children who didn't like food a whole lot as a child and didn't like a certain vegetable and was served a certain vegetable and managed somehow to get their feet up on the edge of the table and pressed backwards as hard as they could and flipped over their um, baby chair and actually put their head through the wall, right between the studs, like right through the wall. Incredible aim, I thought. I thought this child has got a future. 
I mean, that's talent right there. My next thought was, how am I going to fix that? Like, or should I just leave it and put a plaque that says, here was so-and-so's head. I can't say who it was. I just can't. But so we have to assume baseline. I know you want to, but I can't. Uh, that there's a baseline of heart issues in all of our lives and young people, you're not exempt either. We're just not. I remember the first time that I realized my parents weren't perfect. I think I was like four. I mean, they're just, they weren't perfect. And parents, how many of you remember the first time you realized that you had disappointed your kids? Am I the only one? Okay. Can you show me how not to do that? This is a difficult issue that I want to talk about because it affects not only your family, it destroys families for one, but it also destroys and affects churches. And it can really affect and hamper your growth as a believer because it begins and ends with the heart. And I'm going to talk to you about how the heart can lie to you about this issue. It can lie to you and actually trick you into believing that you don't have any issues at all. The issues are everybody else's. It's true. Oh, I can't believe it. I mean, that church, let me tell you. Man, oh man, when are they going to get it together? They can only see what I see. They just don't have the revelation that I do. See where I'm going? See how subtle that can be? Now, don't get me wrong. God does show people things, but he shows them from a place of humility and usually with something to do with it. So we're warmed up for the big stuff. It's time to talk about this big issue, to forgive. Not just to say it, and our actions don't change at all, and nothing is resolved, but to forgive and to live that out for real. But we do need to have a foundation, and it needs to first begin, obviously, with our heart being right with God itself. We have to start there. We have to do that personal inventory that we've been going through and we have to let God search us out. So let me go back to the beginning and remind you of a couple of verses too. Jeremiah 17, 9. It's buried very deep. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. I mean, you know, that's true. It will convince you that, you know, you need to buy Prada if you're a girl. Um, if you're a guy, we need to talk. Your heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. There is no cure for the heart in this world. There is no cure. Who can understand it? There is no cure in this earthly world, in and of the world itself, beneath the sun. In this world, there's no cure for the deceitfulness of our own hearts and how it will lie to you and me. We can tell ourselves and deceive ourselves into just about anything. And we can justify just about everything. Now again, I'm working off the premise that we all have an issue. 
Okay? So everybody has to play the game. Nobody gets to opt out. So as you're sitting there, don't be staring at your husband or your wife or your friend. Think about you. Because I'm thinking about me. The heart is deceitful above all things. So it's at the top of the list of deceitful things. Not only is it beyond a cure, but it says, who can understand it? I mean, it's just this jumbled up goop of stuff. And it goes wherever it wants. It's a mess. How many of you would agree it can get messy inside of here? Okay. Who can see it clearly? Well, there is one that can see it clearly. In Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. He is the only one that has perspective because he's perfect, first of all. His vantage point is perfect because he's perfect. He sees all of the motives, all of the intent. He sees everything that's behind the everything. He sees it all. He sees whether we're manipulating or not. Oh, there's a word. He sees whether we're being truthful or not. He sees whether we have an agenda or not. He sees whether we're being truthful or not. Now, I know you're thinking, well, this is a church. We're not supposed to have those things. Well, there was a bunch of people that rounded up Jesus and paid a guy to have him killed. They definitely had an agenda, didn't they? And the guy that took the money, 30 pieces of silver, what was his name? And he was how close to Jesus? He was with him every day. He had an agenda too, didn't he? And he was deceived by his own heart enough that he walked up and kissed Jesus on the cheek as a sign that, that it was time, that he was the one. So we have to understand if that can happen, it can happen to us. We all are open to this level of deceit. He says here further, and examine the mind to reward each according to their conduct. So our conduct tends to flow out of our heart. I mean, if you can't stand someone, you are going to go out of your way to avoid them. You will. You're not going to walk up to them every like. We'll use our church as a context since we're all here together. Look around the room. Look to your left. Look to your right. Show everybody your pearly whites. It's okay. Or if you want, you can pop your dentures out and really freak them out. Okay? I mean, you're not going to walk up to someone that you don't like every week and just go, hey, how you doing? Hope it's going well. Really like you. I mean, you're going to go out of your way to avoid them. And then we're going to justify that internally with something spiritual that actually is hurting us, not helping us. Now, please, another disclaimer, after church, I don't need 40 people coming up to tell me that they don't like me and they've been avoiding me. Okay? 
because this is really not about me sensing that people don't like me. I'm really just talking here about relationships because they are the life of the church body as a whole. They are. And we have to make sure they stay healthy. And the only way they stay healthy is if we're healthy. And the only way that happens is if we do an inventory of where we are. We have to know that God will reward each person according to their conduct and according to what their deeds or their actions deserve. And the actions and the conduct are going to flow out of what condition the heart is in. If you want to read a really good book that will challenge you and probably beat the pulp out of you, is a book called Bait of Satan by John Bevere. We've done a series on this multiple times, a small group. It deals with the issue of offense. And if offense in our lives is left undealt with, mm, wow, the consequences are just horrifying what happens over time. And it becomes generational. Grandparents, if you've had offense, you will share it with your kids. They will then share it with their kids and it will become a generational offense. It's true. The amount of our sin is more than enough. Psalm 130 verses 3 to 5 says this, If you, Lord, kept a record of our sins, listen to this, Lord, who could stand? So that's all of us. If God kept a record, if he pulled the filing cabinet out of our sins, who could stand? I'm thinking just of last week. Think about that. If God pulled the filing cabinet out and he kept like a record, meaning if he was like going a one, a two, a three, a four. I mean, if he pulled that record out, who could stand? How many think you might be in trouble? Oh, yeah. I mean, just with what you think. Like, sometimes I shouldn't even go to a sporting event. Because, like, I'm sitting there going, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. You're all thinking, he's thinking bad words. No! No, I'm just a very competitive person, and I just kind of want to get out there and, you know, play. That's just the way it is. But with you, verse 4, there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. So God doesn't keep count, but he gives forgiveness so that we can serve him. Aren't you glad that he wipes out the count that he's willing by his grace to say, don't worry about the count. I remember like as a Catholic going to confession. Some of you who don't know what I'm talking about, we would go into a little booth. And we would, there'd be a curtain and we would sit down and we would say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been, you know, 19 years since my last confession. And these are my sins. And we would list as many things that we did horribly as we could remember. Yes, that's what we did. And then the priest would say, say these prayers, you know, and do this many nice acts of contrition from a sorry heart. And God will forgive you. 
And I would no sooner literally get through those things. So I'd go back and I'd pray my prayers in the pew. And then I would get up and I'd leave church. And then I would like cuss. I sinned again already. And I felt, I felt clean for all of like eight seconds. It was, of course, a false clean, but, you know, I mean, nonetheless. The filing cabinet system doesn't work. I'm so thankful that there's forgiveness and that we can, with reverence, if we revere God, we can serve Him. I will wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in His Word I put my hope. You see, In His Word is our hope. And in His Word, we can't pick and choose what parts of it we want to base our life on, right? And He challenges us in this Word in the area of relationships because it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. I mean, think about, again, and I talked about this, and if you're in this situation, this is not to bring condemnation, so don't let the devil start beating you up. If you're in a divorce, remarriage situation, just continue to honor God and move forward. But here it is. Chances are that there was offense that occurred in the previous relationship, and that's probably one of the things that destroyed the previous marriage. I mean, that's how powerful this can be. And I ask this question, if we as grown-ups can't deal with this issue, how do we teach this group right here how to do it? Think about it. We already know that this group is by far much more this than this. Right? Right? Let me ask you guys a question. You have to answer me. How many of your friends apologize over a text rather than out loud with their mouths? How many would say that it's mostly on text? Raise your hand. Or a finger or something. So everybody, awesome? No? Good for you. Yeah. So that's like everybody but one. Okay? Our generation, we were lucky if we got to do it on the phone. How many of you remember your parents saying, you march over there and knock on the door and you apologize? And in most cases, they were standing on the curb by the road. Uh Uh-huh. And then, if they really didn't trust you, they would walk up later and say, well, Fred, how'd that go? Did he apologize? Okay, good. And you still might have got the belt or something anyway. Like it was, you, know, you still were probably in trouble. But communication was such a big part of the whole thing. To be or not to be, you have to forgive. Mark chapter 11 says this in verse 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. The two don't really seem to be connected, do they? The first is just asking for God to answer a prayer. But then he says, like, when you stand praying, if you hold anything or if there's an offense, 
against anyone. Notice it says anyone. Everyone say anyone. Forgive them. And you might say, well, pastor, you don't know what they did. You're right, I don't. But we all have one of those. We all have somebody that has hurt us deeply. And you might say, how do I get over it? Forgive them until it takes. Forgive them until it takes. Just keep doing it. And I will go out on a limb and say this. That I've had a few people that, you know, when I was younger, hurt me. And I formed a very concrete opinion. And over time, God allowed me to see them from a perspective that was very different than the concrete one I had. Now, did we end up hanging out? No, it never got to that point. But it did get to the point where there was some mercy and compassion that came into my life and into my heart. Now, again, I'm still saying, I'm still standing here, I'm a work in progress, just like all of you, okay? Right? We're all on the same page. But if we want God to forgive us, we have to let go of anything that we're holding against anyone, and we got to forgive them. Now, I said this last week, don't walk up to them and say, okay, I just want you to know that God's telling me that I need to forgive you and then proceed to beat them for 20 minutes in great detail with all the things that you don't like about them. I've seen that. It's like the forgiveness beatdown. Now, I mean, sometimes there needs to be a conversation and sometimes it needs to be, it's awkward. I get it. So pick a nice place. Have a coffee. Make it as pleasant as possible. Don't go out of your way to make it awkward and uncomfortable and painful. Try and make it at least palatable. Don't make it like an emotional, traumatic train wreck for the person. Because how many of you know sometimes people have offended somebody without even knowing? Hello? How many of you have done it? I know I have. I mean, I preach for a living. I, I've had people say to me after I was done preaching, you know, not always right away, but later, you were talking to me from the pulpit. My response initially, years ago when I was younger, I used to say, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Now I just say it really blunt and say, get over yourself. Because I don't design a message around any one person, ever. I'm always talking to the whole family. Because that's, if I was talking to one person, I shouldn't be up here. Right? That's just not right. You're with me? Say amen. I know, I know, I know it hurts. It's like cod liver oil and orange juice. <sighs> okay, we're on the main illustration and I'm done. See, I promised it would be short and, <clears throat> and then you can have chili. All right. How short our memories can be. Matthew 18 says this. 
Starting at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began to began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, which was his legal right. The servant had no rights. Can you imagine 10,000 bags of gold? I want to be that servant with had like that 10,000 bags of gold. I don't think I would have given it away. I just sat on it. That's a lot of gold. There's a legitimate debt here. And the man owed him, I still can't get over 10,000 bags of gold. It's a lot of money back then. And today in our current economic inflated balloon, it's still a lot of money. Mind you, it's only about four tanks of gas. If you feel bad though, let me tell you, a friend of mine filled up his truck in Canada last week and it cost him $250. Yeah, I kind of, I wanted to comment, but I was afraid he'd cry, so I didn't. Never even paying that money back since he was not able to pay the master ordered that his wife, his children, all that he had be sold. It was his right to do that. Now, wives in the room, I don't know how you'd feel about that if your hubby had decided to just, you know, plunder everything and now you're getting sold like a piece of furniture. Ladies, you're very quiet. I don't think you would be that quiet. And definitely the young people in the room would definitely have an opinion. They'd be like, do they have Wi-Fi? Well, it's all that matters. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. I love you guys. They'd be like... What? Dad? What? At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. I mean, this servant fell on his knees and I mean, what else could he do? I mean, he's out of options. He can't borrow the money. Who's going to give him 10,000 bags of gold? So he begs for his life and for his family's life. Be patient with me, he said. I'll pay back everything. Nope. He's not paying that back. I mean, how many of you have had someone say, I'll pay you back? And you knew you were never seeing that money. I've said that to my mom. Like, mom, I'll pay you back. You know, she, you know what she says? Like, I mean, honestly, like anymore, like she'd be like, don't bother. You got kids, just whatever. She's very cheerful about this conversation. She's like, you'll get it now or you'll get it later. Don't worry about it. I'm like, gee, mom, could you talk less about dying, maybe? My kids will walk by our conversations often and say, gee, is Grandma Lynn talking about dying again? I said, yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny. It's a thing that we have. It's very bizarre. He falls before him. He begs. I'll pay it all back. The servant's master, he took pity on him and he canceled the debt. He wipes out a debt of 10,000 bags of gold. This says, forget it. 
He's never going to see that ever again. Isn't that what God did for you and me? Did he not cancel a debt that we could never pay? That he had every right to collect on? I mean, he could have collected on our debt. He could have said, listen, you wicked servant. You said, and some of you are going to call me wicked. Listen, we were all wicked in sin. I'm just going to do a little survey. How many of you lied before? Raise your hand or you're lying now. Right? Sorry, but the Bible says if we were guilty of breaking one part of the law, we broke it all. We were wicked. We were dead in our sin, dead in our trespasses. And so he had every right to collect. And we had no way of paying this debt, but more on that in a minute. But when the servant went out, so I mean, he's just forgiven this debt. Can you imagine the weight of the world lifted from his shoulders? His wife's not going to kill him. His kids aren't going to be mad at him. He doesn't even have to work to pay the debt off. I mean, oh my goodness, you would think he'd be the most grateful, happy person in the entire world, right? Look what he does. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. It's chump change compared to what he owed. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. I mean, what? A total flip. He just chokes him and demands that he pays it back. How short his memory was. He was completely unburdened. And now he takes that same burden and he places it on another who had a much smaller debt. But that's what we do sometimes. We've been forgiven sometimes some very big things and we turn and then place that debt on someone else. It's wrong. His fellow servant, does this sound familiar? Fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay it back. Now, this guy, I believe, would have paid that back. I think he could have paid that amount back. It was attainable. It was an attainable amount. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. I mean, goodness gracious, he throws him into prison until he could pay the debt, which would have put the burden on his wife and on his family. And now they would have had to work to pay the debt. I mean, he literally put them in a worse situation than he himself was in now. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. Do you think? Because they all saw the kindness that had been showed to him. They were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. I mean, they, they couldn't believe their eyes. This guy had been given the gift of a lifetime. We have been given the gift of the millennium. And we need to be careful 
how we walk in this gift. I have seen Christians abuse other Christians. Let me just take two seconds. I've seen Christians on social media who should never be allowed on social media ever again. Their conduct is abysmal. It's hurtful and it's a bad representation to the rest of the world. We can't saddle people with a debt that we once lived under. I remember after my father got saved, after the life that he lived, and all I remember at 10 years old was him begging me to forgive him with just crocodile tears running down his face. Obviously, at that age, he didn't tell me everything that he did until I was older. And then when I was older, he had asked, and I wouldn't forgive him then. And when he was older, I was older, I forgave him, and he told me more, and the tears just. He had been saddled with a huge debt. And he knew what he had been forgiven from. And God convicted me and said, you have no right to hold this over him. I forgave you. But our heart is deceitful above all else. And it lies. The master called the servant and he said, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers, not to be locked up, not to pay the debt. No, he's beyond that point now to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. It wasn't going to be pleasant anymore. And this is a parable about literally being tortured or eternal torture. Now, we've got to understand that if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. And if we're not going to be forgiven, what does that mean? It means that we get cast out into outer darkness. And that, you don't hear preached in a lot of churches today because guess what? It doesn't fill seats. But I'm more concerned about your eternal destination than I am your current residency of where you're seating. Remember, I said, we're all on the same page. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from... And we go right back to where we started. Your heart. You see, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that the heart can be tamed. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that the heart can forgive. I've seen people in church 
in life who couldn't look at each other. And the Holy Spirit got to work. And they actually ended up with a great relationship when he was done. Isn't that amazing? What he can do? You got to remember too, there's a devil that's involved. And he works in the area of false information. He loves to lie. He loves to deceive. And I can't tell you how many times I have sat in the room and mediated conversations where people thought they knew something. And when I was sitting there and they got to go back and forth, somewhere in the middle there was an uh uh-oh. And the facts were wrong. And all the anger and all the hate was based on the the false information. And that's where it flowed from. If you're with me, say amen. I close with this. I'll have Pastor Nate come and then the chilly announcement will be made. I know you're excited and anticipating that. You're ready. Your stomach is gurgling. I can hear it. Your taste buds are... Some of you brought your own chili pepper. Some of you are going, no, I brought Tums. Okay. He knows if it's real, not just words. You could fool me, you could fool everybody else, but the Holy Spirit of God knows if the forgiveness is coming from the heart. He knows. He knows if you're just using Christianese, the right words. We're good at that, right? We're good at saying the right things, but He knows. He also knows if we're hiding behind the Pharisaical faith that looks good, but He can search our heart and see that inside nothing has changed because it really is a heart thing ultimately. He knows if we are burdening someone like that man did with what we ourselves would beg to be free of. Maybe what we once carried. What if they are guilty? What if they are? What if they're guilty of the very thing? You got them dead to rights, they're guilty. Well, remember the thief on the cross. He was guilty. He was guilty. And even he was unburdened in the end because it's a heart thing and he asked. And Jesus said, yes. Not just, hey, you'll squeak in, but today you'll be with me in paradise. Let's be a people that take the shackles off and not put them on. Can I say that one more time? Let's be a people that take the shackles off and not put them on. Too many people walk around bound because of what people think of them. Our job should be to take those off and say, you know what? I don't care what the world thinks of you. You're amazing. The world might hate you. I think you're amazing. The world might think you have no talent. I think you're gifted. The world might think you are a waste of time. I think you're worthy of time. Do you get where I'm going this morning? We are.
all have purpose, talents, gifts that are worthy because God made you. Each of us. None of us are any more important than the other. And the longer I do this, and I thought about this a lot when I laid in a chair staring out my window all the weeks I was getting better. The longer I do this, the less significant I feel. And it's a good thing. I'm just a part of the picture. We all play a part. We all play a part. I want to pray for you today. And if you're here and you're like, you know what, Pastor, that message resonated with me. I'm not going to ask you what it is. But you're like, you know what? I know that's me. I'm dealing with some stuff. I just don't know how to do it. And I want the Holy Spirit to show me. I just want to close in prayer and pray that He'll give you wisdom. That's it. Just lift a hand and say, yeah, that's me. I got mine up. So I'm looking. It's a little hard to see. So I'm looking a little careful. All right. I want to make sure I see everybody. Thank you for your honesty. It's a tough one, I know. Not easy. Father, we thank you this morning that it really is a hard thing to forgive. It's not easy to let go. It's not. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us, to show us, to teach us. And we pray that you would give us the wisdom to know how and walk us through the process of letting go and not saddling somebody with something that we ourselves would beg to be free of. Give us the wisdom, we pray, as we walk through this season. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...